I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. The Marathon Hamster Wheel. Is the running culture obsessed with 26.2 miles? We have almost all been asked the question when someone finds out that you're a runner. The next thing that people typically ask is, have you done a marathon? Everyone knows that marathons are hard work. They know that it is a very long race and that sometimes it's viewed as the pinnacle of running success, but is it? Why do we have these 100 miler and 50 miler ultra marathons that are just not given that same pedestal allure and people don't ask, hey, have you ran a 100 mile race before? A lot of our running culture and even people who aren't runners but know a little bit about running, they seem to really know what the marathon distance is and they seem to always want to know if you've ran a marathon. And there's probably a couple reasons for that and we're just gonna kind of dissect in this episode um, all about marathons and some of our theories as to why the marathon is so popular. We're also gonna be giving some advice to those who really want to run their fastest marathon ever. Um, A lot of the subsequent follow-up questions, if you've ever been asked if you've ran a marathon and you've said yes, will typically be, depending on how much people know about running, is, oh, have you ran the Boston Marathon or have you qualified for the Boston Marathon? Um, Sometimes people ask if you've run New York City, that sort of thing. But a lot of people who get into marathoning, they have this like pinnacle goal of, oh, I really want to qualify for Boston. And for sometimes people, that's like a goal that's really far off in the future. And for other times for people, it's something that's within the next couple of years of training. And we're just going to talk about what it kind of takes to reach your potential and kind of what we recommend doing if that is your goal to really reach your potential in marathoning. And I know in previous episodes, we've kind of touched on different goals that you can have within the sport of running and specifically even with marathoning. And we are going to talk a little bit more about that in depth in this episode, just about how even me, for example, I've ran 22 marathons at the time of recording this in about nine and a half years. And so for most people listening, you're thinking, okay, that's an average of over two marathons a year. And for those of you who follow us on social media or have listened to a lot of our podcasts, the traditional advice that we're giving people is maybe being a little bit more selective on your marathons if you're really trying to hit a certain performance goal. But within that time frame period of all those marathons that I ran, a lot of my goals kind of varied. Sometimes it was traveling to do races. Sometimes it was qualifying for a marathon maniacs or in training for an ultra marathon those sort of things. And so we'll talk a little bit about 
how you actually can run multiple marathons a year, but it might be to your detriment if you are working towards a performance related goal. Um, the two kind of don't always go hand in hand. So we're just going to talk about a few different cases of how one might potentially run multiple marathons a year and how you maybe could perform well doing that, how you could probably not perform well doing that, and just some other fun things we'll talk about. The first thing we're going to kind of dive into is how long people run before doing a full marathon and how that's actually going to be a huge factor into how like your performance is going to go in the marathon and how hard you can train. Um, next, we're going to kind of talk about how elite training for the marathon distance is going to look so very different from someone who's maybe has one year of running under their belt and their goal is just to get it to that finish line and why it's going to look so different. Um, we're going to talk about why it's really important to work with a coach or have a plan that really understands your background and the, dis the distance you're training for and your goals. Because um, you can Google search Hal Higdon, you can find pretty much any marathon training plan out there, but each individual is so unique and we're all coming to marathon training with different backgrounds. You might be coming with, you know, five years of running experience, handful of marathons, whereas someone else who's using the exact same PDF plan maybe has been marathoning for 15 years, they're running, you know, super high mileage. And then there could be a third individual who just started running six months ago. And, you know, if you're all trying to follow the same plan, that could be a recipe for just not reaching your potential. And if you are spending all this time marathon training, it is really important to find something that's really specific to you so that you're getting the most bang for, you know, the time that you're putting in for this training. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the advantages of working on speed before going to the marathon and or the advantages of working on speed during like off seasons from the marathon and taking maybe extended breaks from the marathon, what that might look like and how that could actually make you faster. And we are also going to in turn talk about why a fast 5k or one mile will not and does not mean that you are entitled to a fast marathon time and how they are two totally different beasts and that you really need to train specifically for that marathon because I know there's just so many people out there that have these really fast 5k times and I almost feel like you can muscle your way through a 5k or a one mile but when it comes to that marathon it's all about that aerobic base and it really comes down to the training that you've put in and not even necessarily in that one training cycle. It's literally like your entire lifetime as a runner. <laughs> so I'm just chuckling because I think I'm a good example of that, that last one, but we'll save that for later in the podcast. Oh, right. Um, well, even just kicking off with like the story of Al is Alex Zine. Um, he was, he went to college with us and he was like this great 800 meter runner. Um, super fast. Like, do you, uh, yeah. if you had to guess, like, what is his 800 meter? Well, I mean, time? it was like 153. I think. So fast. Yeah, and fast. like, so in a mile, like if he was a miler, like what type of mile time do you think he could run? Like probably like he didn't train specifically for the mile. Right. So he never really like 420s it, for sure. Yeah. 430. He goes out right after college, right? Like he trained quote unquote trained for this marathon after college. So he, this guy's in the best shape of his life. Like he has just probably gone to nationals. I don't know in D3. Right. And, um, he goes and he runs a, a, a 319, 320 marathon. And so what, if you go to V dot and you put in his 1800 meter time, it says he should be able to run like a 214 to something like that probably. Right. But he, he runs over an hour slower. 
And what that boils down to, like you said, he never even specifically trained for the one mile. He, he wasn't a 5K runner. He was a short distance guy. And to make that translate to a marathon or a half marathon would require years of training, would require so many miles. And they're completely two different sports, right? Anaerobic, anaerobic. Anaerobic yeah. and aerobic, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was similar too where I ran, you know, a pretty fast mile like for college times. Um, you know, my PR was 4.14 and I, you know, I, I did wait a few years out of college to run my first marathon, but, you know, I didn't really train. I didn't really know how to train, I guess, at that time for the marathon distance, right? So I thought I was doing all the right things by running, you know, some long runs and then trying to run my long runs really fast, right? Because I'm like, how am I ever going to run a marathon at this pace if I can't run at least like 18 miles at this pace, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely the, the thing that's different though i guess we're talking about number five first so the thing that's different about training for those shorter races is that like you know we'd go to practice and you'd run but it's rare that you're my it's rare that you're there for more than it's yeah. it's rare that you're running for more than an hour right yeah. you might be at practice for two hours but uh, there's a lot of like downtime mixed in with it with like stretching dynamic drills and all that and rest in between intervals um, and even for like an easy recovery run you know you'd go out and run for like 40 minutes maybe maybe an hour at most but um, your training basically is uh, a lot, you know, a lot less time spent on your feet moving mm-hmm. compared to like marathon training where you're out there on the weekends um, for hours at a time where you have a week, you know, midweek long run and stuff. So it's, it's a lot different. Um, a lot of the workouts are different too. They're structured differently with a lot more rest built in, mm-hmm. um, maybe some walking built in. You're, you know, it's a lot more intense getting the heart rate elevated and then you get time for it to come back down. You're, so, you, you know, you're not spending a ton of time in that like tempo zone um, really having to force yourself to deal with like that uncomfortable pace um you know you're, you are dealing with an uncomfortable pace but it's for a lot less time you might be doing it for two or three minutes versus 30 minute tempo you know that sort of thing so i think for for people that run in college and that sort of thing it, it's a it's it's quite the difference to just mm-hmm. transfer over unless you've had like some time to acclimate to moving up in distance so or high mileage runners or high mile yeah exactly so runners that maybe do a little bit better with that are ones that focus on the longer distances Mm, in college like like 5k 10k 10K, and then they maybe move up you know down the road right yeah and when you say you know for practice you're going out there an hour of running a day that's still like a great aerobic base like you are really building that engine um that's still phenomenal right but the really big difference is that it isn't, you're not training specifically for a marathon. You're training for like these 5K events. And so, yes, while you have that aerobic base, you just don't have like that extra gear of the runs over 90 minutes. Your body is not used to doing over 90 minutes for a long run. And I think even the limited experience I had running in college, it seemed that our longest run was generally capped at about 90 minutes. And I don't know if that was the same for the men's team, but it was about 90 minutes Mm -hmm. is the farthest you're going to go. Whereas if you're training for a marathon, it's like that's probably the shortest you're going to go for a long run. So that's really where things start to switch right is that long run and then also just the the type of workouts you're doing you're you were probably focusing more on um quicker anaerobic speed obviously you still did tempo runs but the tempos were a lot shorter you weren't doing a lot of stuff that was like steady state longer threshold work you were doing like shorter stuff and a lot of people are like wow this sounds really nuanced like And it is. It really is. And I think what you're describing is after college, how you just went to the marathon distance, 
there weren't really a lot of coaches who were providing that type of guidance um, as to how you could move up to the marathon distance and what sort of training you should be doing. And I think the general mistake that was made, not only like with you and I, but everyone that we knew who ran in college was like, we just tried to apply the same principles that we were doing in college. So like trying to do these track workouts or trying to do simulate the same type of tempo short stuff we were Mm -hmm. doing. And then just upping our long run and maybe even just trying to go a little harder on that long run. But really, that's not the optimal way. And I think we weren't really giving ourselves enough time to maybe build up to that distance and really learn how to race over 26.2. Because going from like racing three miles to racing 26 miles, it's just such, such a different beast. And so to expect that you would be able to perform to your potential in Mm -hmm. an event that's eight times the length i mean that's that's a big ask and so i think one of the mistakes that maybe we made is not um giving ourselves enough time to acclimate to the distance and maybe even like finding a coach that could explain what sort of workouts are going to be most beneficial like i don't even think i knew about workouts such as I don't know, like four by one and a half mile repeat. I didn't know that was like a workout that marathoners did. I just thought, okay, let's go to the track. Let's do some 400s, 800s, like just be as fast as you can. And it'll translate when that's really not the case. Yeah, I agree. I think the mile repeats was maybe the farthest thing that I would right. do, and I'd probably do them way too fast. Damn and room, take, yeah. I would take a long rest in between, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like a VO2 max workout instead of you know, doing them a little bit slower and maybe doing more of them and taking just a shorter rest. Maybe it's like a 75 second rest, right. you know? And so, um, you know, the, the shorter distances, you know, and it gets me thinking about like, um, some of the elites out there that focused on, you know, the mile and even shorter than that in, in college and, and, and professionally like Nick Simmons or Alan Webb, like we don't know what their potential could have been had they chosen a different route. Like have they chosen to run, um, you know, 10k or half marathon or marathon as soon as they were done with their collegiate careers um and so it's really hard to know like how that translates but the training does have to look vastly different like you were saying and um you know i in college i got to see this really closely how like a lot of times runners in track maybe were super duper fast in like the mile Mm -hmm. um, but it just didn't translate to cross country like they just Mm -hmm. were not able to run fast for 8k which is about five miles um, and then vice versa, some of the runners were really quality cross country runners and they just didn't quite have like that gear to be able to turn the legs over and go super fast on the track. And so, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of individual differences, but identifying kind of where you fall on that spectrum, I think is, yes. is good when you think about like your race performances, right? Like using the VDOT calculator, that's something I look at a lot for athletes and just trying to assess like, okay, are they, are they, um, you know, running times in the shorter races that are kind of in line with the distance or is it vice versa? Maybe they're run, maybe they're hitting these faster times in the half and marathon distance, but they're not quite, you know, there on the 5k in the shorter races. So I think, um, it's, it's useful to kind of look at that information. Right. It's really easy to, to kind of gauge it based on when you can see some of their race results mm-hmm. and there's right. Like you said, there's always, a category of runner. I think this is most commonly what I see is someone has a 5k time that's pretty quick. Marathon time doesn't line up with VDOT. Like the marathon time's slower. And right. that's kind of like where I've fallen in the past, where you fall. I think yep. that's where a lot of people fall. Um, and that's just mainly, that's a good thing because you can almost right. work your way into being a better marathoner. So that's something that takes 
just right aerobic based development and over time you're gonna inch closer because you already have that speed the middle category is like where things aren't in in alignment so like the 5k marathon time correlate pretty much on the spot and again this is the vdot calculator so you can just go google search vdot jack daniels calculator and kind of just play with it plug in a few times and it's just gonna spit out um what is it called race, race equivalent yep. it's going to tell you based on the time the marathon or the 5k time you've ran what you your race equivalent in various distances will be and you'll kind of see am i close am i not being close i'd say if you put in a 5k time and your marathon time is within five minutes i think that's pretty close um where we're getting a big gap is like if it's more than 15 minutes off i'd be like whoa that's that's quite the gap i've seen up to like an hour away mm-hmm. from and it just varies um and then you have the opposite where people they um have a very fast marathon time but their 5k time it's like they're running the same pace for 5k as a marathon almost like they have one gear um and i feel like that one's almost a, a little bit more challenging to coach but we'll talk about things that we utilize for that. Um, so I guess, yeah, working our way backwards on what we had for this podcast, what are some of the advantages to working on speed before going to the marathon? Yeah, so, you know, typically, if you're working on speed, uh, that, that'll allow you to maybe do a few more races, right? Because they're not as taxing. So if you're, if you take a college runner, for example, they're getting multiple opportunities to do these races. So they're gaining all of these uh, different experiences, right? That's going to shape who they are as a runner. Um, it, they're going to have uh, more opportunity for different workouts. So they might, you know, m- maybe understand like, oh, um, you know, this is my strength in workouts. This is kind of an area I need to maybe improve upon. Um, and so I think if we're working on our speed um, or if we have a foundation of, of doing fast stuff first, like you, you, like you were saying, it's easier, I think, to, as we age, to increase our aerobic endurance. Um, it can be, if it can be difficult, if you start running as an adult, um, let's say in your forties and you, um, want to really just work on your speeding and, you know, run as fast as you maybe did when you were in high school or as fast as you could have ran rather, um, Mm. maybe in your twenties. So that can be a little bit more challenging. And I think that, you know, it's obviously easier to just slow down and add some distance than it would be to, um, you know, try to, try to speed up, especially as muscle and, and, um, speed might decline with age. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you can still get really fast, even if you start running like in your forties or fifties. Um, I've seen people start running in their fifties and they still like work their 5k down to in the seven mm-hmm. minute range. And that's, I mean, that's really impressive. And then sometimes they have the temptation to think, oh man, if I would have just started running when I was, you know, a teenager, like how fast could I have gotten? And we'll never really know the answer to that question, but all you can do is kind of take it one day at a time and see right. kind of where your speed ends up. Um, so having like that strong feed speed foundation, like people who ran cross country and track in college or in high school, I think it really does set you up for success when you move up in distance. And we see this oftentimes in the running world, um, just anyone, right? Like even Kipchoge, I'm pretty sure he was a, you know, track star back in the day before he moved up in distance. And I think that does really help because as we talked about earlier, you know, your track, cross-country practices you were running for no more than probably an hour every day but that's still really building that aerobic base and so when you do move up in distance um the more durable athletes at least they're able to handle that mileage they're able to make jumps from you know maybe every season you're moving up 10 
10 miles per week or five miles per week. And then by the time you're graduated from college or you're ending your college career, maybe you're already at 80 miles a week and you're able to handle that because you've built up to that over the course of your life. And then it's really easy to make that shift and that jump to maybe being a great marathoner because you already are someone who's able to run 80 miles a week. You have a long run that's 90 minutes, but you're still covering like 14 miles, just some crazy stuff like that, right? And we see that happen often. And so that's why when we say focusing on speed first, it can lay a really good foundation for a lot of individuals. But what we often see happen, um, and kind of the route I took anyways, is people get into running, um, and then one of the first uh, bars they really want to hit is that marathon. And so that's within maybe a few years of them running. Whereas we look at people like you, I think, so you started running, what, when you were 12, and then it's like you did your first marathon in your 20s. I mean, you were talking like 15 years, 14, 12 years of running experience. And we even know people who you ran with in college who I don't think he ran his first marathon until his 30s. So we're talking 20 years of running experience before running the first marathon, and he ran it in like 247. And a lot of people are like, whoa, that's so fast. But we really need to think it's like he had a huge base before he jumped into that. And I used to think, oh, it's just like all talent. But really it's looking at what they did for 20 years before and that's why it really translates and pops in the marathon because you're ready to like move up in the distance um whereas me for example I started running and within like two years of competitive running or whatever I was like ah, I want to do a marathon because that's you know the pinnacle of running success I thought and so you know just signing up never really having a super strong base um and just kind of going for it and it just wasn't um, the experience that I thought it would be. And I was actually really frustrated at the time because I had a friend who in the 5K, like I was always beating her in races and we trained together and we kind of did marathons basically on the same weekend. And she ended up running, I want to say like 20 minutes faster than me in the marathon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, how did she do that? But again, it boils down to she had been running for like 10 years, whereas I had been running for like two. And so that's where you really start to see these things paying off in the longer distance races is that consistency over time, that aerobic base. Um, And I still even see that today playing out where, you know, I've been marathoning for 10 years now. And so there are races that I go to and I, I just know, okay, like I don't have the same the same speed as I did in the 5k necessarily, but I'm able to carry it over a marathon distance. And so maybe things have flipped a little bit now where I have more of that aerobic advantage than I did in my early 20s. Yeah. You know, I know everyone's on their own journey as far as like when they started running and when they decided to do their first marathon. But, you know, just to kind of paint a better picture, if I were to uh, give you an example of uh, an adult runner who wanted to get into running so they don't really have any experience mm-hmm. um you know and so say you spent the first year focusing on shorter distances just um doing a few 5ks maybe working up to like the 10k or 10 mile distance um you can kind of picture in your head what that training might look like and how many times they might be able to get away with racing right over the course of a year um and you can still structure some breaks within there um you know like a week off here and there and so that would be like one way to approach running and another way would be someone that just wants to complete a marathon right and so if that's their their main goal um they're going to probably increase their distance quicker than that than the first approach 
Um, and so they may, yeah, they may do it. They may get to the finish line, but then we have to ask ourselves like, um, how are they setting themselves up going forward after that? So looking at year two, now, now year two, if you take that first example, now maybe it's time for that person to move up in distance to the half or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they're just a little bit more, um, prepared, but they might be better prepared for it. They might be a little bit more fresh. It, it really just depends. And so, you know, I think about speed training. I think it just overall, it helps runners. The more you vary your paces and stuff, it's going to improve your running economy as a whole. Um, and thinking about, um, you know, Galen Rupp, for example, he spent so many years just hammering and running like fast for so long. Like he was, you know, footlocker, uh, cross country and all that doing 5k. Then in college, it was, it was all 5k, 10k stuff. Right. And, and, and in between for cross country. So, um, and then even as an elite runner, he went to the Olympics for the 10k. Right. Mm. And then he finally moved up and did his first half and full, right. at, um, you know, when he wanted to, when he felt right, you know, and so 2016 was his first go at the marathon at the trials. And so, um, he's a really good example of just someone that was really patient and he, he had a good foundation. I know a lot of elite runners are the same way where they want to, you know, graduate college and they maybe still spend a few years really just trying to stay fast in the, in the middle, I guess, distance races, which could be like 10 K 10 mile half marathon. Um, and so how long do people wait before they run a marathon? Again, this, I think it depends on your motives, right? Some people mm -hmm. might do um, just one half marathon and then they decide to jump up and do their first full. Other, I would say what's pretty average for adults would be anywhere from like one to three half marathons. And then I think people mm -hmm. are definitely definitely thinking about that first full. What do you think? Oh yeah, totally. Well, and then just thinking about the elites, like I, I like to use them as an example just because it does show that, you know, they're really patient. They have a really big base before they move up in distance. But at the same time, you know, like this is their career. And so they're getting like paid to run and mm -hmm. it's all 100% performance focus. How can you reach your potential in every way? And so it's so nuanced. Like we have to do it this way because this is what's going to be the best for your potential and your performances. Yep based on like the goals that we have for you, which is to be the best, to win the races, all these things, right? So you have to run your fastest possible time. And that's like a lot of pressure. And so for the recreational or even like amateur or even elite runner, um, who's just doing it more for a competitive reasons or even just for like mm -hmm. fun, right? Like just regular Joe runner like us. Um, there's other factors that are kind of involved, right? So you're not really getting paid to run. So you really have to think of what is the purpose behind me doing this marathon or doing this run. And for some people, even for myself, the allure for me was more, wow, 26.2 miles. Like, I just want to do that. I want to know what that feels like. I just want to run that far. It wasn't really like, oh, I really want to do it because what I, you know, like I want to run a certain time. It was more like I was curious about it. And I think that comes from, you know, a good, a good reason. So if you have like a good reason and a why behind it, mm -hmm. you know, going for it is always good. And then once you have that experience, then it maybe your why evolves, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, they have marathon as a bucket list item and, and they never want to do one again. Other people, they do one and they're like, whoa, I, I think I could do that better. And I right. think I could do that faster. And that's where we talk about like that marathon hamster wheel. And I hopped right on that as soon as I finished my first one. I thought, oh, I'm never going to do that again. But then I just, the wheel started turning and my brain was like, oh, what could I do to, to get faster next time? I know I could run better now that I know what I have in store for me. And all of the wheels started turning. So 
I think it was like eight weeks later, maybe. I don't, probably like 12. I did another marathon. And then, so the cycle began, right? I think I did 16 marathons in uh, three and a half years. And so, as you can tell there, there was a lot of cramming. And I learned a lot from those experiences. But the biggest takeaway was that, yes, you can shave time off merely from experiencing the distance. Um, You can do multiple marathons a year, but don't expect to run your fastest time at all of them. And these may sound like very obvious things. You know, you can read this online. You've heard it a million times, but it's just coming from a place where you're able to experience it. I feel like it's so, it's so different, but um, I basically don't really advise that people go for performance related goals and doing multiple marathons a year, year after year. And so there are some cases where, yes, you can maybe do one marathon and then another marathon, but how your performance is going to be impacted is really important to know. Yeah, really well said. Um, You know, I know everyone has their own motive for wanting to do races. And, you know, for me, I think, uh, and for other people that I've seen on social media, I think it's this... um, the travel effect, right? So mm-hmm. you, I think you're a lot more likely to travel for a long race, like a marathon, than you would be to run like a 10K. You know what I mean? Like who's going to hop a plane to go run a 5K? Um, <laughs> unless it's like, a, unless you're a college student or something, you're trying to run against fast competition. But, um, so I think that's part of it too, is like you want to experience these races, right? Like these big races. Right. And maybe, you know, it's the majors or whatever. Just being around 20, 30,000 people um, or taking your family on a vacation to this state and then you can run the marathon while you're there. So it's, it's those reasons, especially. Um, and I think, um, that can be, that can be addicting in itself. Right. Right. And so I've seen, you know, I've, uh, we've traveled to a lot of races over the years and I've, I've learned to, you know, obviously know that I don't need to run the marathon every time I can run a half or I could run maybe the five K or 10 K if they had that as an option. I think one year I ran a five K at Marquette. And so it's just like, um, or you, maybe you use that time to volunteer at the race, um, kind of give back to the sport. And so um, that's one way around that. But um, I'm hoping that by talking today and, and what Victoria is talking about, it just gives you some perspective and thoughts about like your own training, your own decisions for wanting to do races. And maybe, yeah, if it is a performance-based goal that you have in the next few years, maybe you really want to get that BQ, um, you can definitely gain some benefit from stepping away from the distance mm-hmm. for a while and in doing some shorter stuff and then maybe going back or we've even seen people move up in distance and then come back down and they crush the marathon so mm-hmm. um, it's you know to each their own there but right there's so many ways to slice it and there's like so many examples i could think of and it's just like overwhelming right and i think that's probably why it's good to if you are kind of curious about your own personal goals because everyone's goals are so unique and different and just what they want to do within a calendar year so unique and different talking with a coach and kind of talking those things out and coming up with different game plans and scenarios for how you can be successful with what you want to do um can definitely help and i know some of our athletes it's like they want to do berlin and chicago and how can we frame it up so that maybe i could have a chance to pr at one of them and there's just so many one-off examples um a lot of people want to do two a year like one in the spring one in the Mm -hmm. fall and i think that can sometimes work out really well for a person and it really depends on what we're coming from right so i like to look at okay what did you do in the previous 24 to 12 months and Mm -hmm. that's going to tell me a lot right so if you've kind of had a string of maybe things are going backwards maybe you just haven't ran all 
a good uh, marathon. You're just not feeling like any of it's working. And what you have been doing is doing like back-to-back marathon training cycles over and over again for the last two years, which I don't really know how that's possible because of like COVID and stuff. But I mean, looking in the last like 18 months, right? Some people, it's like they do marathons every three to seven months. And if you are noticing that your performance is like slouching and you're just not where you want to be, sometimes stepping away and switching things up so that you can reach a new level, kind of gain confidence in different distances and really working on building your base and not just doing the whole cycle again, right? Because oftentimes this marathon hamster wheel, what it really looks like is you do a little bit of base training, you marathon train for three months, you do the taper, you do the marathon, you take a month of recovery, right? And so that's six months right there. And so if you do it again, six months later, it's almost like you're living the same thing over and over again. Like you're doing the same workouts. You're hitting the same paces for all your long runs. You're not really giving your body a chance to be introduced to any new stimuli. Um, And sometimes you're pretty much just trying to recover and get healthy again after that last marathon, get your motivation back before boom, you have to start training for the next one. And sometimes it's like, you never really have time to build the mileage. You never mm-hmm. have time to do different workouts that are stressing in different, um, different zones, right? You're not really right. doing anything new. And so people want to hit new levels, and it's like you might have to try something new to hit that next level. Yeah, definitely agree. I think a lot of a common you know misconception people have is they think they need to do um, things similar to their previous cycle, right? So maybe, or even maybe one up it in, in some aspects. So let's say they did 120 mile or maybe they think they need two on this next cycle. Or, um, if they did uh, run with like, uh, eight miles at marathon pace, they think they need to do that same workout, um, or even, uh, go beyond that the next time. Right. And so, um, there, you know, there are some benefits, I think, I know you can speak to that, um, where you maybe compare a specific workout to one that you did during a previous cycle. Um, but I think there's a lot of, um, a lot to be said about, you know, changing more than just one thing and doing things differently. And so, um, you know, we have to look at everything. We have to look at consistency, mileage runs per week, um, number of workouts that you're doing, um, you know, maybe looking at the speed workouts versus um, threshold versus uh, marathon pace, that sort of thing. So all these different variables at play. Definitely. And there's just such a variation between athlete to athlete, right? And so a lot of it is going to boil down to like your base and what, what does your base look like? What does your base mileage look like? What sort of mileage can you handle? And oftentimes what I see when people are kind of stuck on that hamster wheel doing back to back to back, um, it's just, it's so stressful on the body that sometimes they're not able to really increase their um, mileage during that time because they're spending so much time recovering from the marathon, then rebuilding back up and then tapering back down. So it's like, there's not really a heck of a lot of time to, to work on building that base. And sometimes when people take a break from the marathon distance and they're able to focus on maybe building their mileage base, maybe just gradually their long run maybe it was always like when you're in base building mode around 10 miles maybe you get to a point where it's like 12 miles or something mm-hmm. um maybe your weekly mileage was normally floating around 40 and all of a sudden you can like get 50 and it just evolves over time right and i think the longer you go without doing a major race where you have to take significant amount of time off 
the better you're able to kind of build that base into um, infinity, right? So it's just like being more consistent over time. So sometimes giving yourself that break, like a season off, you're actually able to be more consistent with your training, which in turn is going to be able to kind of enhance what you're able to do with your training, which makes you faster. Um, law of diminishing returns, right? Sometimes we have to work that much harder to get a little bit faster. And that's kind of one of those principles. And I know oftentimes people will look at training on Instagram or Strava and they try to like get motivations for workouts and stuff like that. Um, and there are some big like Instagrammers out there that have a huge following and they post all of their workouts and oftentimes people just follow them more for like aspirational kind of fun. But if you get caught up in that trap of like, Ooh, they're doing this workout. I need to do something like that. Or, Oh, they did like a long road mm -hmm. marathon pace in it. It's like, we don't want to play that game because again, we don't really know what that person's base is and how it relates to your base. Everyone's kind of like on their own journey. One of the rule of thumbs that I have for giving people marathon pace within a long run is, is the distance in itself enough of a challenge to elicit a stress response from you? If yes, then we don't really need to add in marathon pace work. But if you're just like, yeah, 18 miles just isn't really that hard for me. I can, I feel like it's not going to do anything. Like that's really the point where, okay, we're going to add in some marathon pace work probably because mm -hmm. we need to have like a greater stress response. And, and that's really where you see a lot of the more elite people. It's like the reason that they're running so much or doubling up on, you know, some days they're doing two runs a day, stuff like that. It's because they have to do that in order to get the stress response. And so as a coach, as an athlete, you really want to look at, am I going to benefit from whatever it is that you want to do? And you have to ask yourself, what are the benefits of what I'm already doing? How does it compare to what I was doing four months ago, one year ago, four weeks ago? And if you feel like you haven't really made any sort of changes to your training in those amount of time well maybe it's time to think about how can i reframe things so that i can stay a little bit more consistent and start building in some additional stressors into my training so that i can get a stress response yeah and i love how you use the example of comparing you know seeing a workout uh maybe someone comparable to you on social media and seeing that and thinking oh i can do that workout and then going out and trying it right but mm -hmm. like you said you don't know what their base was leading up to it and um, they maybe um, maybe had a workout, a few workouts, a series of workouts that was a, a bit more appropriate to get to that level. And so by you just maybe going out and doing that workout, yeah, you might be able to do it, but guess what? You could be a little fried from it or injured um, in a week or two. And so it's just like you have to weigh the pros and cons of, of um, you know, understanding your own progressive overload principle and your own recovery, rate of recovery and all of that. Um, and you mentioned kind of you know, reframing the way you look at your training as a whole and doing things differently. And sometimes you might be able to get away with uh, doing a bit less in terms of mileage if you get a little bit more quality out of your training. And by quality, I don't just mean like faster runs. I might It might be just more uh, deliberate um, things that are going to um, lead to uh, a faster time. So it could be more mobility work, more strength right. training work. It could be more personal care, like doing ice baths and, and Epsom salt baths, um, you know, uh, Theragun, those little things that might be, those might be the missing pieces that leave you feeling a little bit more refreshed in your training. And so, um, you know, doing those can, can help go a long way as well. Right. And when we're going to get into all of this, it's like, 
wow, it, it's a lot of, it's a time consuming, right? So it's high mileage. You're doing a long run on the weekend. You have to do all these little things, nutrition, Theragun, massage, like Epsom salt, like just everything has to be on point, right? And for some people, it's like, wow, that sounds like it, it's going to be very time consuming. And, and it really is. It's a lot more time consuming than say, training for 5k, training for one mile. And so I think it kind of goes back to that original mm -hmm. question right like why is the marathon like this pinnacle of success and i think the reason why people will ask you like have you ran a marathon or whatever it's not really because they're gonna be oh my gosh like i respect you so much more i think it's more because they know um that it's something that requires a lot of time so maybe mm -hmm. they're just like curious like have you ever done that or not it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna like respect you more as a person right, right? it's just like an actual question they don't really Maybe they don't really know much about running. Uh, maybe they actually think it's, like, quite crazy. Maybe they'll, like, lose respect for you, right? right? So I think it's one of these things where people, um, they just ask it because they're not sure. I don't really think it it means much, right? And even within the running community, like, if someone asks you, have you ran a marathon, um, man, I, I just feel like anyone who's going to judge you for saying no, it's just they're probably insecure about their own self because someone tells me they haven't ran a marathon. I'm like, you know, that's probably a wise choice because sometimes I feel like, you know, they're just so time consuming and, and chances are, you know, if you haven't done one, it's probably, you probably have pretty good balance with, with your training and whatnot. And, and they are fun to train for. Definitely. Um, guilty as charged. Right. But they are really time consuming. And so that's something you really want to think of before signing up for it as well is just knowing like, this is mm -hmm. the time commitment. And we all have limited time, right? And so a lot of times on social media, you hear the quotes like, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And like, just all those kind of like cheesy, like we prioritize what's important to you. And it's like, yeah, like let's really think about that. Sometimes there are seasons where maybe we don't have time to prioritize running as much. And I think taking time off can actually be really refreshing for if and when you decide to step back to the marathon distance, maybe you'll kind of feel like you crave it, you know, like you really want to do That's it. True. Whereas mm -hmm. sometimes I think people just get caught in doing, oh, this is just what I always do. I do this every year. This is who, like what I do. And they just kind of go through the motions, so to speak. Right. I mean, think back to maybe why you did the marathon in the first place for most people and for myself. It, I mean, it was a physical and mental challenge, right? Like I wanted to see um, what this was about. I wanted to see, can I accomplish it? Um, I wanted to be really challenged and, and just have to persevere, right? And do something that I know is hard. And for some people, including myself, like I think that uh, I enjoyed the event more than I did the actual training and all the work that went into it, right? Like um, I, I like doing a lot of races. That's just how I was in college and stuff. So um, I wanted to do the challenge of the race, but I, I, I don't think I was really well prepared with the training to be able to support having a, a you know, a I guess what I would say like an optimal race performance or uh, experience rather. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, and that's probably why, what entices people about moving up in distance too, is they see these 50 miles or hundred miles mm -hmm. or Ironmans or whatever. And it's just like the challenge, right? Like the thrill of, right. can I do this? And, do and when you do it once uh, or when you prove yourself, you can do it or whatever. Um, yeah, maybe it's um, quite enticing to try to sign up and do another one again without having a lot of time pass. Um, but there are other ways you can challenge yourself. And I like how you said, like, if you step away sometimes, uh, or if you've been doing this, you know, cycle after cycle, it, you can really benefit from taking that break. And, um, it might help reignite that motivation to come back later, even stronger. Right. Definitely. 
And like you were saying, sometimes you do the first one, you get addicted, you want to do another one, and and you can almost like get away with that. It's like you're, you just are learning so much. Like the learning mm-hmm. curve is like this hockey stick. Like you can improve so much after just like a few of them, right? Because you're learning not only like how to pace yourself within the race, you're learning like what type of training works, and it can be like super addicting. And so you can start to almost like identify yourself as like, I'm a marathoner. And I used to like wear those. I mean, I still... <laughs> Look at my Instagram name, right? Like, you wear that as, like, a little badge of honor. But also realizing that, like, hey, I can step away from this and still be a marathoner and still have those accomplishments. It doesn't, like, define, like, who I am. I don't always have to be training for a marathon, right? And then um, that can almost, like, make you better, right? Because I think what ends up happening is people, they see that hockey stick improvement, super addicting, right? Like, everyone likes to see progress. And I think that's what's so addicting about running in general as soon as you start doing it and you see the times maybe on the treadmill on the watch you're like wow I can get better at this and like you're almost always improving and then in the marathon it's like you can improve so much um just because it's a longer distance race there's so many variables at play and then people will all of a sudden it gets harder and harder to improve lots of diminishing returns and I think sometimes people just get stuck in the cycle of like this is just who I am this is what I do which mm. if it makes you happy, that's great. And like, keep keep doing it. But also give yourself, like if, if you're kind of dreading it, that sort of thing, give yourself a chance to kind of step away and see if maybe you can reignite that fire and find joy in other distances too. Um, because you can still, you know, definitely be wearing that marathoner title, but just taking a little bit of break from the marathon distance for sure. I don't know why, but what you were just talking about made me think of a few like local athletes who are just like they're at the same races every year, oh, yeah. and you know it's like they're, um, you know, you know they're going to be there, right? Or oh, yeah. and we have you know we have like our local races here and they're there every time, or especially like Twin Cities Marathon. Like you want to run your hometown local right. race, um, but again, you don't always have to like be killing yourself, especially if you have other goals that you want to mm. achieve, right? Like you, we talked about doing like two marathons in a cycle and stuff, and so you're the outcome can be different. You know, you can go into the race with a different goal in mind. um, And so maybe you're pacing a friend who's slower than you or you're doing a progression run or whatever, working on Or just doing it like at a moderate pace. Like it doesn't always have to be a PR. You don't always have to like go after it, right? And sometimes I think we forget that some of these people who are always at the same races, they're not trying to PR every... I mean, there's no way you would be able to have longevity in the sport if you're doing the same marathon for 30 years, 20 years, right? So some years it's like maybe you take it chill, you're taking it a little easier. Other years maybe it's like moderate. Some years you're really into it. Um, And it just like ebbs and flows like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest longevity piece of advice is just letting yourself maybe take a break from um cycles and if you're just been doing the same thing over and over again it's okay to kind of back off a little bit switch things up mix it up do something a little bit different or maybe this is your sign like hey i want to do multiple marathons a year i just want to like take it more chill and maybe not race all out on all these things um there's just so many ways that you can slice it and have fun and have like a safe training cycle stay injury free all of those good things and it just really depends on again, what your goals are. So I th- always think as a coach, it's really important to have athletes define like what are your goals before we kind of dive into training because how are we supposed to write a training plan if you know we don't really know exactly what your goals are? And sometimes that can be tricky, I think, as an athlete to really define, man, I don't, I don't really know. But giving yourself some time to reflect on what exactly it is that you want to do in the next five years, one year, six months, 
and then kind of take it from there. And that's really how you define those goals. And then you can train towards them. And maybe your goals are, I want to do four marathons this fall, like back to back. Or maybe your goal is, I have one marathon I want to do next year and I want to run really fast. And you're able to create training based on your background and what your goals are. And it's going to look unique to every individual. Yeah, exactly. And you might end up discovering you have new goals for a different distance. And that might be a little (laughs) bit more exciting for you to try. So, um, yeah, I think it's fun. And I know for us, we did a lot of the same races here uh, as part of a circuit every year. And I think that was fun to kind of compare year to, you know, years prior and distance to distance, right? Like a 5K to the 5K the year before or, um, you know, I think we used to do like two or three 5Ks every year. And so it was just kind of fun to be able to do that and compare. And and some years you maybe, yeah, you took it a little bit more serious because you didn't have like a longer race on the calendar. So that was kind of like your A race. Other times it was just like a fun tune-up race for something a little bit more serious. And so, you know, I know just because you know, elites train for a marathon or, or um, a half, that doesn't mean they may not race a 5K or something shorter. So um, I think it's fun. I think a lot of adults that get stuck in this hamster wheel focus on the marathon, though. A lot of them do maybe lack some racing experience in shorter distances. So I always encourage my athletes, like, hey, just let's sign up for this race just to, especially if they tell me that they get, you know, really nervous for races. I think that's a good way to help um, just gain some confidence, go through the motions of, of getting ready for a race and realizing, like, oh, this is, this is fun and I shouldn't put all this pressure on myself, that sort of thing. So it's really tough because the marathon, I mean, you don't get to do them super frequent. So yeah, it can be, and you, I think every, you know, for me, my body always knows like, oh gosh, like it's, you're, you're about to go through some here. It's going to take you three hours. Like you better get everything primed up and ready and like hit the bathroom like five times, that sort of thing. And so it's just, uh, I think it's different, but the more I think you do it and maybe some shorter race efforts, I think it can help for sure. Definitely. So much good stuff we talked about here and definitely different ways to approach it. Like there's really no one size fits all answer, which sometimes drives people crazy because they want to know. But that's the beauty of Run for PRs, right? So we actually have coaches on staff where if you have like specific questions and specific scenarios you want to play out, like we're happy to hear it and kind of give you very specific advice for whatever your unique situation is because we probably didn't cover it on this podcast. So if you are interested in connecting with a coach and getting some more personalized feedback, we actually offer a free seven-day coaching trial where you're able to connect with a coach and really have everything individualized. You're also able to do a consultation phone call during that process where you're able to verbally kind of ask any sort of questions that you have to your coach and get some answers. So if you're interested in that, you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up. So again, that's a week for free where you're able to connect with a coach and get a lot of your questions answered and get a free week of training at www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.